0: For we study God's word and we enter into this um, unfathomable, difficult to even grasp, crucifixion. Let's pray together. Father, we really need you. When we pray right now, we come to you and we just simply ask you to help us. Help us, we pray. Help us to see deeper. Help us to grasp. Greater. Help us to embrace and feel, as it were, the reality of what you have done for us in your Son. Help us as followers of Jesus, as lovers of Jesus, as those who know what Jesus has done and have dedicated our lives to being his disciples and to following him. Help us, we pray. Help us to just enter into the mystery and wonder, glory, horror, and beauty of this crucifixion. Bless and be with us now, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love Thanksgiving. It's one of my favorite holidays. I love its simplicity, and I love that it is focused around giving thanks to God. Uh, normally, I would probably preach on the act of Thanksgiving, but uh, I wanted to continue to not lose the sense of pace that we're kept, that it, as we're living in in Matthew right now, and that and really in many ways, I'm we're preaching today on the source of the Christian's great Thanksgiving. What is the source? Our deepest and eternal Thanksgiving. One of the great sources of that will be the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. For those who were with us last Sunday night, as we were in the world of Revelation 5, I'm reminded of Revelation 5, 8 and 9, when it says this, "'Now when he had taken the scroll, the Lord Jesus Christ, "'the four living creatures and the 24 elders "'fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp "'and golden bowls full of incense, "'which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a news song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And here you have all of heaven. John will go on to say that multitudes, myriads and myriads of angels and and the saints falling down before him and worshiping the slain Son of God and what he has done for us. And so our greatest source of thanksgiving will be uh, what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, especially on the cross. As we're going to have a very simple uh, format today, what I'm going to do is just kind of take us through this story. Uh, in, it's very familiar to you, adding some details, helping us to really grasp it. And then we're going to step back and we're going to look at this crucified man upon the cross We're going to ask ourselves several questions. All of them are going to begin with one word. We're going to ask us the simple questions but profound questions as we try to respond to this. And that word is how, how, how. I don't want to go into great detail about the sufferings of Jesus specifically. But I do want to urge you That each aspect of this suffering, each step along the way of this suffering is here for a reason and recorded for a reason. And I would really encourage you at some time in your life and maybe consistently in your life is to get alone in a quiet place. And I think we should be doing this regularly with scripture. It's so hard these days. Get alone in a quiet place where you won't be disturbed. And... Think about these things, meditate on them until the reality begins to settle in and set in on your heart and you, you experience them afresh. One of the things that we're going, we need to do, though, is we need to look at the way Matthew writes this. Sometimes he just writes a word and that word is so packed and it's almost like then he moves on very quickly. It, he just summarizes it. And I'll give you two examples. Look at verse 26. It says, then they released Barabbas And when they had scourged Jesus, they delivered him to be crucified. And that's all you hear about the scourging. And then look at verse 35. And they crucified him. And then we're talking about the dividing of the garments and everything. They scourged him, they crucified him. Well, for you and I, we don't quite grasp that. For the original readers of this, they knew exactly what that meant. And he didn't have to go into detail. Let me illustrate this for you. If you were talking to somebody this week and that person came up to you and they said... You said, hey, how'd your week go? I said, oh, week went pretty good, but I had to go to the dentist. Oh, yeah, well, what happened at the dentist? And they said, well, I had a tooth pulled. And you said, oh, that's too bad. Okay, and then you went on. Because what you were thinking was, which you were probably right, they went to the dentist, they had Novocaine put in, They took the time. They may have even numbed the spot where they were going to actually put the Novocaine in. They put the Novocaine in. These people waited till the Novocaine was in, and then they pulled the tooth, and they felt a little bit of pressure, and the tooth came out. 200 years ago, if you were talking with somebody and you said, well, how'd your week go? And he said, well, I had a tooth pulled. You'd go, oh, oh, oh. Why? Because a hand-forged pair of pliers was made, and without any novocation, without any pain medication, without anything, somebody reached in, grabbed that tooth, wrenched it out of its socket, and pulled it out, blood spurred everywhere, absolute pain, absolute agony, and you'd say, oh, and they wouldn't have to say any more details. They would just say, I had a tooth pulled this week, and you'd go, oh oh, I'm so sorry, oh, I dread that happening to me. Well, that's what's happening here, scourged, crucified, and we're like, we don't, we don't get it. It's like there was no Novocaine, dear friends. This was difficult. And so we want to look at this. We want to enter into this and follow this down through. So let's look at the sufferings of Jesus and the death of Jesus and then step back and ask ourselves some important questions about this. And so I do begin, verse 26. Jesus Barabbas is released and Jesus is scourged. Jesus was beaten. Jesus was beaten with, a, a it was a, probably a handle with leather, uh, leather uh, thongs that, that went out from it. And then at the end of those was attached either a sharp piece of lead... Or a piece of bone fragment. And the idea was that each time that thing was, was whipped upon a person's back, it would lacerate them. It would cut them. And so you would have not only the pain of it hitting, but the laceration. It would sometimes whip around and lacerate as it was pulled back. There were, Jesus was probably cha- uh, tied Uh, either to a post or to posts. He was stripped naked. It was absolutely humiliating. He was absolutely at the control of these men. There were probably two men who were professional executioners and professional punishers and torturers, hard men, Men whose souls themselves had to have been wrenched. Can you imagine going to work every day and beating people? And some people died from these whippings. Some people died from the very whipping itself. Some of them, the whipping, because it, it tore off so much flesh, their, inter, their internal organs were actually seen because so much flesh was torn away. And they were whipped. And these men were Romans whipping a Jew. And they hated the Jews. And many of their, some of their friends may have been killed in the recent execution. Uh, insurrection that Barabbas did. And so there, there's with delight and with and with anger and with vengeance, they're, they're lashing this man and lashing this man and lashing this man. And, and that's what's being said here. Jesus is whipped. And, and, and again, we see the very Son of God. We see the very Son of God submitting to this. The very Son of God who can call down angels. The very Son of God who is allowing this to happen. Who is laying down his life for us. And he's Being beaten and beaten and beaten for our sins. That's what's happening here. And then we're told that then they take him from that. Place. He's still in the Praetorian. And look at verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took him into the Praetorian and gathered the whole garrison around him. And this, this garrison uh, group was about 600 men altogether. Now, whether they were all there or not, all Roman soldiers, all there in Jerusalem to try to keep order and to keep down insurrection. They stripped Jesus again of his clothing and they put a scarlet robe upon him. This was a, a robe that, 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 was, that was a waistcoat on. Most that was that was worn by generals. It was worn by uh, by kings. It was it was actually a, a, something that was very regal in that sense. Uh, this one is placed upon him as a joke. And he's placed upon, and then uh, you notice here that uh, a crown of thorns, every king must have a crown. And so they're laughing and they're joking to make this foolish king. And so they weave together a crown of thorns and they place that upon his head. And then, of course, every king has a scepter. And so they take a reed and they put it in his hand. And and they have made him the perfect foolish king king. And the word means they mocked him. They they mocked him. And the word mock here means to make sport of, to make fun of, to play with, to laugh at. And so these these Romans want to make a joke of the king of the Jews. And so they're making a fool king there. And it's cynical and it's mean what they're doing. And it's arrogant. And and it, it has to be and I know that if you've ever been teased, if you've ever been made fun of, if, if you've ever been, been, been treated with mockery like this, how painful and hurtful it is. And mocking actually is a very big part of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 20, seven uh, earlier chapters, when we studied it in Matthew 20, it said this, Jesus spoke and said, behold... We are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles. And notice here, to mock, to mock, and to scourge, and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. Jesus knew that this was going to happen. And this was part of his suffering. Now, if somebody was going to make a fool king and, 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 and make mockery of the actual real king and the person wanted to participate with them, uh, that would be funny and, and everybody would laugh. In, in his novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, Victor Hugo has this grotesque figure, the hunchback, Quasimodo is his name, and early in the book, Quasimodo has made a fool king. They put him on this throne and they parade him through Paris to, to make fun of the king, to show revenge rebellion against the king and people are laughing and bowing down to Quasimodo as king and Quasimodo is laughing he's he's being caught up in this once he figures out what's going on and this goes all through the streets of, of Paris and a big crowd and they're all laughing and making fun of the king but to but to do this to a true king to take a true king and, and to, to take his crown off and to beat him and put, put a false uh, a robe on him and a false scepter in his hand and a false crown upon him and to act like you're bowing down and showing that you are respecting him, that would be terrible. But to do this to the Son of God, to do this to the Son of God, the king of all kings is unspeakably horrible. It's unspeakably horrible. He came from glory. He reigned with his Father. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays this. He says, and now, Father, this is right before the crucifixion comes, and the last, it's during the Last Supper. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus was the glorified son of the father. He was the glorified word and he was there in glory and he was reigning with his father and one day he's coming again and he will be absolutely glorified. The king of all kings, the Lord of all lords and all the angels and all of the people and all of the demons will be before him and he will judge and he will judge as king. And these men, these Roman men who were laughing and were on their knees before him will actually be on their knees again for him and they will be proclaiming him king of all kings and now the words that they have just spoken will be horrible to them in remembrance of what they had done and how they had treated him we're getting ahead of ourselves though here he is standing there as this mockery king and they're laughing and they're kneeling before him and then we're told in verse 30 that they spit upon him They degrade him by spitting upon him. This is what we think of the king of the Jews, and they spit in his face. And another one comes up, and they spit in his face. And then they take the reed out of his hand, and they whack him with his own scepter. They whack him and beat him over the head to show that they absolutely hate the king of the Jews. The Jews are nothing. This man is nothing. They are Romans, and they are great. And he was absolutely humiliated. And yet he stays there as the the lamb, who lays down his life for his sheep. He stays there silent. He doesn't call the angels down. He doesn't yell back at them. He silently takes this humiliation. And then we're told that he was crucified. Verse 32, Simon of Cyrene is 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 asked, is is compelled to take his cross. Jesus from the having been up all night, Jesus having been gone through two or three trials at this point, Jesus having been whipped and beaten, and now humiliated like this, is is losing his strength. And so Simon carries his cross. And then Simon helps, and they get to Golgotha, and there he's offered at that point. Uh, a, a, tort, a sort of sedative painkiller. And Jesus, once he tastes it, refuses it. He, he wants to have a clear head. He knows what he's doing. He is suffering for the sins of, of, of the world. And he, he, he stays there and says, no, he would not drink it, verse 34. And then verse 35, again, we have this summary statement that Jesus was crucified. Now, of course, we know what that means uh, somewhat. We've never seen it. Nobody living today has probably ever seen one. And yet, as we know, he was laid down. He was forced to lay down on the beam. His hand was laid out on the wood, and then a, a spike was put there. And then that hammer came down and drove that spike through his hand, perhaps through his wrist, into, into this beam. And then he, his leg his feet are brought together. A spike is driven through his feet, and then he's lifted up. And he, and he is made to, to hang there by those things. About 20 years ago in Israel, a, a grave was opened. Because there was no actual archaeological evidence of crucifixion that we ever had. And then uh, about 20 years ago in Israel, well actually it was in the 1980s I believe, a grave was opened up One of as the, they were excavating. And in that grave they found this. And what that is is that's a spike that has gone through an ankle bone. And, uh, and what they think happened at the end of the spike is twisted like this. And they think what happened is when that spike was driven in to crucify this person, uh, the spike somehow hooked in and they couldn't get it out to take him off the cross. The bone was jammed in there and they actually cut the wood which then deteriorated and gave us this. And so you can see the size of a spike and that spike going through an ankle bone, just the pain of the thought of that alone is unbelievable and that's what jesus was experiencing and so jesus is then hung up on up up on the cross but then notice once again the humiliation the humiliation his clothes have been stripped from him many of them many historians believe that people were crucified completely naked to humiliate them once again and then the guards sit down they're they're gambling to get his clothes And then nailed up above him, look at verse 37, is this sign, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Once again, this is cynical, it's humiliating, it's to make him feel the fool, it's to make all Jews feel degraded uh, by this. It's to actually make people, the Jewish people, angry at Jesus, that he would have said something like this, that he would have proclaimed something like this, and now they have to be nationally humiliated. But then look at verse 38, even greater humiliation, two robbers are crucified with him and so jesus is brought down to the level of a common criminal common death row criminals and jesus is considered one of them and so he's just his reputation is completely degraded because of this and then comes more mockery and notice the groups that are outlined who mock him verse 39 and those who passed by blasphemed him Wagging their heads and saying, You who destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourselves if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Passers by, seriously? The crucifixion was probably near an entry, one of the roads that go into Jerusalem. The Romans liked to do this in order to warn people, this is what happens if you disobey Rome. And so people coming in to do commerce are seeing him. They see the sign, they see that, and they wag their heads. This was the one who taught in the, in the temple. This is the one who said that he was going to destroy the temple and rise it up. And Jesus has to hear once again this misreading of something that he said, something that he said being turned around and twisted against him. And oddly enough, strangely enough, at that point, Jesus is in fact destroying the temple that he said he was going to raise up, which was his body. But here it's being used against him. And God is being used against him. If you are the son of God, come down. If you have this power, come down. If you can do miracles, come down. And he could, but he didn't because he's giving his life for his sheep. Look at verse 41. Then another group. Likewise, the chief priests and also mocking him with the scribes and the elders, saying, he saved others. He claimed to be a savior. Himself he cannot save. Look at this savior. He's a victim. He's powerless. He can do nothing. He's hanging there. What a fool. What a mockery. What a liar. What a false teacher. That's what was being thrown at him. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He just raised Lazarus from the dead, for goodness sakes, and, they, and, and that was well known. In fact, these people tried to kill Lazarus, too, to stop that. He's, he's walked on water. He's healed people. He's raised people from the dead. He's blind people could see. Lame people were dancing around and, and jumping around. He fed 5,000 people, and these guys said, now, nah, well, we need one more. If he comes down from the cross, then maybe we'll believe in him. Look at verse 43. He trusted in God. Well, let's let God deliver him. Let's look and see if God wants him. Because he said he was the son of God. And so they're belittling him. They're belittling him. He's God forsaken. He's obviously been forsaken by God. God doesn't love him. He's a failure. And then Matthew tells us, That the robbers themselves join in. Look at verse 44. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Now we could gather together all of the evidence from all of the other gospel writers. You can tell by, if you have a red letter edition Bible, you can tell right away that Matthew is doing something somewhat different with the crucifixion than the others did. He has Jesus silent through the entire thing except for one phrase at the very end. We don't hear. We know this happened. Jesus asked for, he prayed for those who crucified him that they would be forgiven. We know that Jesus eventually saves one of the men who's next to him and says, today you'll be with me in paradise. We know that Jesus has, has, will, will say other things. I thirst and things like that. We know that in the end, Jesus is going to say, It is finished. Into your hands I commit. We know all that. But Matthew is focusing on the silence. He's focusing on what Jesus has done. Now let me ask you this. Look at these people. Look at these people. You have the Roman soldiers making a fool of him. You have the sign put up above him. You have the, 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 him being killed as, as a robber with the other robbers. You have people passing by the roads making fun of him. You have the chief priest making fun of him. And you have the fellow robbers all making fun of him. Would you like to die that way? Would you like to die that way? Could you even imagine dying that way? When I'm dying, when I'm on my deathbed, number one, I hope there's pain medicine or something helping me out here. But I want to be surrounded by my family and friends. I want people praying. I want people singing hymns. I want people reading scripture to me. I want people telling me that God is with me. Jesus loves me. I'm I'm on my way to heaven. I want comfort. Could you imagine being in bed and all of your enemies are filling that room and all of them are laughing at you and making fun at you and saying, God has forsaken you. You're dying of cancer because God has forsaken you. You're here, right? God has left you. God doesn't want you. God's not going to heal you. We're not even going to pray for you. Oh, if you were such a big believer, you taught, you were such a big preacher. And look at this. God has forsaken you. You're a nothing. You're a nobody. You're a fraud. You're a fake. You're a hypocrite. And you're dying the death you should. You're under the judgment of God. While my family is far, far out there in the parking lot praying for me. I don't want to die like that. That's how Jesus died. Surrounded by all of these people. Truly forsaken. Truly forsaken. And you know what's interesting? We're going to meditate on this through the eons of heaven. In one sense, all of these detractors are right. He is being forsaken. Because he's being punished and judged for our sins. And it's because something more ominous than all of this suffering happens next. Look at verse 45. Now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all of the land. Matthew just allows us now to meditate and to think about three hours of darkness, something ominous, something that even quieted the crowd, quieted all the detractors. Something, someone, something more real and ominous and scary happened in the middle of the day. From 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, from the 6th hour to the ninth hour, whether it was deep, dark thunderclouds, whether it was an eclipse of the sun, whatever happened, something happened there and everybody realized something great and ominous and terrifying has just come. The wrath of God has now becomes the focus. And for these three hours of which the Bible only here gives us one sentence, these three hours, Jesus is suffering the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Something more awful than all of these things that the people have been saying, the wrath of God has come for three long hours. God is forsaking him. God is judging him. God is throwing out his wrath and his anger and his hatred for all of our sins upon Jesus. Jesus is having the Father turn upon him and the Father judge him as a substitute for us. He's being abandoned at one—abandoned of all of the comfort of his Father and the wrath of his father being poured out upon him. I'm not putting these verses on the screen, so don't panic back there, uh, guys. I'm just going to read them and listen. This punishment from the Father, this wrath that was being poured out was wrath for our sins. 1 Peter 2.24. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. 1 Peter 3:18. For Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on the tree. Isaiah 53, He was wounded for our iniquity and bruised for our sins. Jesus Christ is being punished By the Father, the eternal, sovereign, majestic, great, and glorious God and his beloved Father is punishing him for our sins and he is hanging there, bleeding and dying until he cries out, quoting Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then we're told that people think he's calling Elijah, take a sponge up to him. And then in verse 50, it says, Jesus cried out again. And he gave up, he yielded up his spirit and he died. At that point, the, it's almost like the earth gets angry. The earth is angry at this terrible thing that has happened to, the, to its creator. And earthquakes, time, uh, Matthew says, happen. And, and, and stones start to split and graves open. And the soldiers who had crucified him come to the conclusion, afraid of what they're saying, this truly was the Son of God. Let's pause here now. Let's pause here. Let's pause here, and in our minds and in our hearts, look at that dead body, blood still dripping from the fingers and the hands and the elbows. Blood still dripping from the feet. Crown of thorns disfigured, shredded back. Head flopped onto the, uh, chin flopped onto the chest. A defigured, disfigured, tortured, horrible looking man. Dead, yet beautiful. And let's look at this and say, Ask some questions. How? First question. How much must God hate sin? How much must God hate sin? How terrible sin must be? That this is what was necessary... To take care of our sin. How terrible sin must be. Another question. How dare we ever take sin lightly? How dare we ever commit sin and take it lightly? How dare we do it? Dear Christians, we should look at our sin and say, I hate you. I hate you. Because of what you did to my Savior. Because of what this sin and its guilt and punishment did to my Savior. We should hate sin. How dare we take any sin lightly? Another question. How completely demanding the justice of God must be. How complete and demanding. The justice of God must be. You see, dear friends, God didn't sweep sin under the rug. God didn't say, oh, let's just forgive and forget. God didn't say, well, we'll just look the other way and pretend that didn't happen. In order for sin to be done and taken care of justly, in order for sin to be taken care of in the pure, holy justice of a pure, holy, sin-hating God, this is what had to take place. This is what had to happen in order for God to be just and to forgive us. And that is clearly outlined for us in the book of Revelation, uh, Romans. In Romans chapter 3, it says this, whom God set forth as the propitiation, that's the satisfaction, the one who takes away wrath by his blood through faith, To demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God passed over the sins that were previously committed. Those are old covenant sins. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just, just. And the justifier of him who had faith in Jesus. God was being just. The justice of God is strict. It's supreme. It's perfect. It's holy. It is just. God, and tie these two together. Tie these two together. Think of a sin. Think of a sin in your mind that is so heinous, so heinous, that you would be tempted to do to the sinner what God had done to his son. You say, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm telling you, think in your head what sin would be so heinous that if you could, you would do to Jesus, uh, do to the sinner what this. You say, I can't think of that. I can think of it. I can think of them. I read a lot of history and recently I've been reading actually from several historical periods because I've got a couple books going on here of people who came into a village and in order to punish the men who were on the opposite side of the army, tied the men up and violated their wives and then several times, several men violated their wives in front of their eyes and then murdered them. If that, at that point, you would be of no mindset to say, Oh, well, let's just live and let live. Let's just forgive. Hey, they mess out. You know, guys, they'll get into that. No, that's too bad. Let's just sweep it under the rug. You would not say that at all. You would say, I want justice in my mind I would be thinking I'm looking at your face and I'm never going to forget it and for the rest of my life I am going to track you down and I am going to give you the most torturous death you can say Todd you shouldn't think like that you're Christian I get that but I'm telling you that's also the cry of justice and if at that point my chain somehow came off and I grabbed a gun, it would be ugly. It would be, but it, part of that would be the execution of justice. Dear friends, think about this. God sees all of our sins as as heinous as that. And God sees that justice must be done. But God, instead of putting the justice upon us, put the justice on his son. And his son volunteered to have that happen. Another question. How horrible it must be then to stand before a holy God refusing to accept his son and having to bear the punishment of your own sin upon yourself. How horrible it must be to stand before this holy God having refused his son's offer of salvation And then you must bear your own sin upon yourself. How horrible. I can't even describe that. That is hell. That is hell. To have this God punish you for your sins. To have this just God who hates sin punish you. If what we see on the cross with that dead man hanging there, if what we see on the cross is God's attitude towards sin, and that's what he did to his own son, what will he do to me? If I go into eternity without his son for me. You see, dear friends, when Christians walk in and stand before the holy God, they have a sacrifice on their behalf. They have a propitiation. They have one who died on their behalf. Their sins have been atoned for. Their sins have been punished. Their sins have been laid upon Jesus. And as far as the east is from the west, their sins have been removed from them. And they are before God sinless and justified in Jesus Christ. But for the one who enters into heaven, having saying, I know Jesus, I don't want Jesus, I don't want this in my life, I don't want to be a Christian, I want to do it my way, and then suddenly stand before this God And must give an account for your sins and then be punished. And have his wrath come upon you for your sins and not upon Jesus for you. How horrible that must be. And if you are an unbeliever here, I want to urge you, flee to Christ as fast as you can. Flee to Christ and find salvation. Flee to Christ and find a blood that will cleanse you from all of your sins. Flee to Christ and find that just God has put his justice upon the Son so that he can forgive you. Flee to Christ. And let me add to this. How great the father's love must be that he would give his son for us. The Bible says that he, he so loved us, this God is for us, who could be against us? He who gave his own son did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not along with him freely give us all things? Dear friends, how great the love of God must be. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Look at the cross. Look at the spikes. Look at the blood. Look at the back. Look at the crown of thorns. Look at the dying man there. An innocent man, a man who has never sinned. Look at him dying there. The very precious son of God providing a substitute, providing a propitiation, dying in our behalf because the Father in his love sent him. How great the Father's love must be. How glorious, how glorious the self-sacrificing Son of God must be. I can't wait to see him face to face. What a self-sacrificing person, giving of himself, silently suffering silently listening to all of the charges, laying down his life, not crying out, reviling, not doing any of that, giving of himself, giving of himself, leaving glory, coming to earth, taking on human flesh to die upon a cross like this. What self-sacrificing, what giving. This is the perfect shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. This is the great lover of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. How great must be his love for us if he would do this for us. Here's another one. How foolish it is. How foolish it is to refuse to embrace this forgiveness of sin. I'm talking to Christians now. Christians, we commit sin. We feel bad about it. We get down about it. We get discouraged. Then Satan comes in, starts accusing us. How can you call yourself a Christian? Are you really a Christian? That was horrible. You're sinning against so much light. How many privileges and advantages you have? You've heard the gospel. You've been saved. You're baptized. You're a, you're a Christian, and you act like this. What's the matter with you? How can you be? And we just we just take that all in, and we just let him beat us up, and we just feel guilty. Dear friends, how foolish this is. We have a Savior who died upon a cross and died such a, a horrible, torturous death, taking all of our sins upon Him. My sins were laid upon Him. There they were whipped. There they were spiked through the bone. There they were, they were taken. There the humiliation. There the mockery. There the punishment. What fool I am to not embrace that and say, no, I'm forgiven. No, I'm cleansed. No, I'm justified. I've met Christians who've had that one great sin in their life. That one great sin. They did something that was horrible in their past. They did something that they just want so slammed away in that closet, but it can't. It keeps coming out. And no matter how much they've heard the gospel, they've come to Christ, they've come every once in a while when that sin gets mentioned, it just comes out. If they've done that as well, it comes out in their life and that one great sin just keeps beating them up. How foolish that is. That one great sin was executed upon Jesus Christ. That one great sin is gone. It's gone. The Father, watch as the Son is lashed. The Father watches the Son is spit upon. The Father watches the nails go crashing through the bones. The Father watches through all of that and sees and has ordered that that's where that great sin will be punished and punished and punished until death. That sin is gone, dear Christian. It's gone. How many times, it's not that one great sin, dear Christian, is it? It's that sin that so easily besets, Hebrews 12. That sin that I just keep going back to. Each of us have certain predispositions to certain sins. And, and, and we just find ourselves going back to that sin. And then we repent and we ask for forgiveness. And then we go on for a while. And then we just do it again. And we ask for forgiveness. We do it again. We ask for We do it again. And we just get so... Oh. Is my repentance real? Am I real? Is my forgiveness real? Am I serious? Why do I keep going back? That It's a sin that's so easy to be set. Some of us, we all will have these certain sins. We have these predispositions toward that we will carry until the day we die and then they're gone. But dear friends, how foolish for us to not realize that those sins have been laid upon Jesus. Those sins know the whipping of the the back. Those sins were there when the nails were being nailed in. Those sins were there as he was hanging, gasping for breath and dying. And those sins were there when he died and he said, it is finished. How foolish, dear ones. How foolish. How foolish. Our sins have been paid for for the very son of God died. Another one, how can we ever worry again? How can we ever worry again? I've already quoted it. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, hold him back from the cross. He who did not spare his own son, how will he not along with him freely give us all things? God's for you. Stop worrying. If God did this, If God did this, this dying body of his son upon the cross, he's for you. He's going to take care of you. And then finally this one. How can we not be deeply thankful? How can we not be deeply thankful? He was scourged and by his stripes we were healed. He was condemned so that we could be a He wore a crown of thorns, and we will be given a crown of glory. He was stripped of his clothes, and we will be robed in righteousness. He was mocked and hated, and we will be honored and blessed as the very adopted children of God. He was reproached and hated by the crowd, considered a criminal and we will be reckoned innocent and justified. He died a painful death so that we can live forever with God. How can we not be deeply thankful? I want to just close our time by reading again for us. Just listen. For those of you who were here last Sunday night, and the Holy Spirit was clearly present here last Sunday night, and we were in Revelation 5, and we heard the angelic voices. I started off by putting up the quote, you were slain and redeemed us to God. Let me finish our service this, by reading this. Romans 5.11. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands and thousands say, with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as were in the sea and all that were in them. I heard saying blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits upon the throne, the father and to the lamb, the crucified lamb forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Oh Lord, help our lives to be lives of thankfulness to you. Oh Lord, you've given us your son. Oh, Lord Jesus, you died for us. You gave your life for us. You hung on the cross for our ugliness and our meanness and our lies and our backbiting and our selfishness and our lustful leering and our evil thoughts. You hung on the cross and took all of that upon yourself. We praise you. We glorify you. We thank you. We worship you. We give ourselves to you. We give praise and glory and honor to you, Father, for giving us your Son. We give praise and glory and honor to you, Lord Jesus, for dying on our behalf. We give praise and glory and honor to you, God the Holy Spirit, for coming to our dead souls and giving us life, opening our eyes and drawing us to the Son, that we could have eternal life, giving us new hearts. Oh, Father, may you be glorified. May you be glorified and praised. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.